0: as she preaches the gospel and explores the mysteries of God in our modern world.
1: In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of
0: us all, Amen.
1: In a recent parody in McSweeney's, there was a piece titled, Selected negative teaching evaluations of Jesus Christ. So as if he was the professor, they're the students doing the review at the end. Among the student reviews was, tells too many stories, easy to get him off track during lectures. Or, he's nice enough, I guess, but he doesn't bet his TAs. They all provide completely different conflicting lecture notes. (laughs) Tip, try to get in Luke's section. And my favorite, inconsistent attendance policy. Said we had to be in class by 9 a.m. every day. Over half the class showed up late or didn't attend until the last meeting, but we all got the same participation grade. I'm sure we can appreciate that last one. In fact, it's the very frustration that is named twice in today's passage from Luke. First, it comes from the Pharisees who were upset that Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. These were people who did not deserve to eat with Jesus. I mean, if you wanted to hang out with anyone, it should be them, right? The respected, dominant elites who had done all the right things to get to where they were? A similar critique comes from the elder son in the parable that Jesus tells right after. He's mad that the younger brother goes out and disgraces the family, and then he turns around and gets celebrated? But the older brother did everything right, and he never got a party. How is that okay? On the one hand, what Jesus is doing with the tax collectors and sinners and what the Father does with the Son messes with our sense of what's fair. Or it looks to us like foolishness or like the Father is being overly lenient. But on another level, how is what they are doing actually wisdom? Perhaps, the best possible chance at restoring what's been lost or repairing what's broken. In the parable, one of the most notable moments is when the father runs to the son. He doesn't have to wait for the son to come and knock on the door. He has never left his vigil, keeping watch for him on the porch. And note, in ancient Judea, Wealthy patriarchs didn't run. To do so would have been throwing aside convention, humiliating himself even. He goes and he gives his affection effusely and imparts his robe and his ring to confer his status on the sun. And this wasn't the same thing as being too lenient or a pushover. It was all done with a keen awareness of what had been done, of just how much the son's actions had fractured things, and the brokenness that touched all of them as a result. The father goes over the top to reinstate the son's belonging because he knows that excluding the son, keeping him on the outside, wasn't going to do anything to bring healing. For them all to heal, he had to be brought back in. And that might actually have been the hardest thing for the father to ask them all to do. Because to get them all at the party meant they had to face what had happened together. For the youngest son, it would have meant being seen in his moment of deepest failure and regret so that he could one day get past it learning to accept and receive that much love and generosity would have been hard it would have also been hard for members of the household to move towards receiving him and reconciling with him rather than just writing him off or rejecting him outright but how other than bringing him in would they have been restored Now it is interesting that we don't get the rest of the story, and that's probably on purpose. We are left to fill in the gaps and imagine what might have happened next. There might have been consequences or some accountability for the younger son. But what was never in question or up for discussion was his belonging. And that's what the father impresses on the older son at the end. When he was gone, part of us was missing. He is home, and now we are more whole than we were before. When something is broken, when things are not right, in different ways, but often in Scripture, God repairs by bringing the one on the outside in. Jesus did this with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he was on the outside because of his questionable professional dealings, because of his stature, because he was up in a tree while everyone else was on the ground. But Jesus says, Come down. We're coming to your house for dinner. And that bring, being brought in is what compels Zacchaeus to fix the damage he did and repay what he took. Jesus did this with a woman who was about to be stoned for adultery. He brings her in by widening the circle. First, it's just this small little circle with her at the center. And yes, it is strange that only the woman is implicated. But in saying, let the one without sin throw the first stone, Jesus widens the circle to include everyone. And all of a sudden, throwing stones makes a lot less sense. Or with the Good Samaritan or the Syrophoenician woman, it is the outsider who gives the good example and teaches even Jesus the lesson. These stories, like so many, show that the solution can come from bringing the outside in, so that there is no longer an inside and an outside, which is necessary because when there's that boundary, it gets in the way of real relationship. And without relationship, there is no conduit for healing, no opportunity for real repair. Reverend Leroy Barber spoke about this when he came a few weeks ago. He noted how Jesus was always bringing the outliers to the center. He said he never focused on the majority. And he said that that is part of why we, a predominantly white congregation in southeast Portland would host a Juneteenth celebration. He said, in our neighborhood, we are 3% black. So if you are one of the 3% or roughly 273 black people living in this neighborhood, you are the outlier. So to bring in black artists and businesses to the center and celebrate their work is actually a form of repair. Repair. It is a form of repairing what's been broken in our society from slavery and the systemic exclusion of black people, bringing those who have been pushed out back in to hopefully see just how much we've been missing out on. It is also a way of decentering our power and control as the majority and becoming vulnerable, entering into territory where we are not in control where we are learning and seeking and coming with a sense of our own lack. We are blessed to live in a city that values diversity and inclusion. But as Reverend Barber noted, we are also a city lacking in relationships. The very relationships needed if we are ever going to heal. This celebration is an occasion to form new relationships. When something is wrong, when something is broken, the human tendency is to exclude and push further away. But the way of the Father in the story and the way of Jesus does the exact opposite. Where we push away, God brings in. And what may look to the untrained eye as foolishness is the first steps in healing what's been broken. Or as Verna Dozier says, the very essence of God's gift is community. If sin is about separation, redemption is about bringing together. My prayer today is that we would be empowered with the spirit of the Father. To be moved with that same kind of compassion. So much that we would run, not walk, to draw in to get out of our comfort zones to know people and to love them. We are all part of each other, and we are not whole when some of us are on the outside. I also hope we can see in the places where we need it, where we are broken, ashamed, or feeling like we are on the outside looking in, that we are being brought into God is running to us. There is nothing we have to do but receive this gift. And then hopefully give it as prodigiously as it has been given to us. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast offering from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. For more resources from All Saints, or to support this or our many other outreach ministries, please visit allsaintspdx.org.